This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Pucks with Ags is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Welcome to another episode of the Pucks with Hags podcast. I believe this is episode number 19. We're getting close to that uh, big 20 mark. That'll be a a balloons and cake kind of episode. Can't wait for that. Uh, We've got New England Hockey Journal and Bruins beat host Evan Marinovsky here with us. Uh, But before we get to Evan, I just want to throw in a quick shout out to our sponsors, uh, FanDuel Sportsbook, uh, who've been with us since the beginning and we love them. Uh, very popular with people that love sports and love to wager a little bit. And I know there's a lot of those people out there. And uh, let's give also some love to number one, America's number one ready to eat meal kit, Factor Meals, uh, ready in two minutes, uh, vegan options, healthy options, uh, comes right to you, easy to do if you're on the go and you got a busy summer. So thanks again, Factor Meals. Now that we got the sponsors, uh, love taken care of. Evan, how's it going? What's, uh, what's hot with you as far as the Bruins go right now? Where you're at in your Bruins state of mind? Oh, geez. Uh, and well, we're in that, like, first of all, Hags, thanks for having me. It's fun to do what it's like a crossover episode, you know, like it is have, like growing up like on Nickelodeon, like when your two favorite shows <laughs> would come together and do like one show. That's this. That's um, right. It's been good. I mean, the Bruins, it's, you know, like it was kind of tough to get through those episodes in the playoffs because it was like there was nothing after, you know, once they were done and eliminated and we'd kind of done their their eulogy, it was sort of like. What you know, what's you know, we're waiting for the, the Stanley Cup final to end, and then you know, you have free agency and you have uh, you know, your, the draft, and there's not a lot going on with the Bruins in the draft, so it's yeah. really just free agency. But we're kind of in that second sort of, I think people are starting to look ahead to next year in the sense of like, what is this team going to be? Um, summer's been outside of Bruins, summer's been great though. I mean, the weather, it'd be nice if the weather got a little bit better in the, in the Boston area. Um, seems to always be rainy on the weekends, which is fun, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's been good. How's your summer been Hags? Uh, it's been busy, but it's been good. Um, riding, uh, driving the kids to a lot of summer camps, uh, Finn's at Dexter hockey camp this week. He's nice on his way home right now. And now uh, we're actually going to Lake George this weekend for his, uh, he's got a lacrosse tournament with the Boston freight train, uh, lacrosse team. So, uh, as soon as I am done with this podcast, we are getting in the car and driving to Lake George. So it's right to Lake George. Yeah, it's been uh, and but we did go. Uh, Finn came with me to the NHL drafts. Uh, he was there for the first round and the whole family came. So we hung out and, you know, seven, eight days in Nashville and then Tennessee and then uh, went to Dollywood and uh, went to parts of North Carolina, too. So it was actually really fun. Uh, in Smoky Mountains, we'd never seen any of that. I'd never been there really before. So it was cool to check that out for seven, eight days. So we already knocked the uh, summer vacation out of the park already too. So, it, and it's cool for him because the draft, I assume he was probably just, you know, bright eyed watching the, the draft and everything. So that must've been well, awesome. Well, he was, uh, first of all, very psyched to see Connor Bedard get drafted in person. Cause he watched the world juniors. He knows who Connor Bedard is. So it was really cool for him to see, probably the next generational player getting drafted by the Blackhawks. But it was also equally cool for him uh, to see uh, Will Smith get drafted by the Sharks, uh, number four, because Will Smith played for the Junior Eagles. Finn has friends, uh, teammates that play for the Junior Eagles. Like it's, it's a lot more real to him when he sees that. And then he sees Ryan Leonard 
get picked a few picks later. Uh, and he played for the Springfield Rifles, which is a team that Finn's played a bunch of times and beaten. So like, yeah. it's pretty cool for him, I think. To, and it feels more real as a hockey player when you see like teams that you play against or you have friends on the teams that some of their players go on to get drafted in the top 10 of the NHL draft. So that, that part is, is pretty neat to watch. And he was into it. Yeah, that's I think that's the coolest thing, like with with the with New England Hockey Journal, like obviously we did a lot on those kids. And um, it's funny, there was a story I went back and looked to see like if there's anything on Connor Bedard that was ever done by us. And I think it was 2018 at the I think it was like the Beantown Classic at New England Sports Center. Connor Bedard was there. It was either 18 or 19. And no he was kidding. written up in New England Hockey Journal. And it was a little, you know, a couple sentences. This kid, you know, he's young, but he's clearly the best player there. And I mean, it was so fascinating to be like, oh, my God, that was you know, five years before, but um, yeah. And now with my job, I'm always like, you know, maybe I'm like this, this 14 year old kid, he's going to be the next Connor or this, this kid's going to be the next Connor Bedard. So it's uh, soon enough. It'll be Finn Haggerty in the, in the it, we'll see. So. Hopefully as long as he continues to love playing the sport, that's like, that's what I'm most, that's all that matters. About. Like, that's and, and matters. To, to be honest with you, like he's, he's like comes home from the scrimmages and he's talking about like, you know, yeah, I scored goals. I did whatever. Like he gets most excited about like breaking up kids in the final seconds of the game when somebody pulled a goalie and like the game's on, like he's into it, even in a scrimmage at Dexter summer camp uh, in the middle of July. So that part's uh, pretty cool, but you're right. It's as much as we like when they're young say, Oh, they're still going through puberty. They're still years away from the draft. Like you want them to be at their best when they're 17, 18 years old. You can't see a kid at 13, 14 and say, this is an NHL superstar yet because there's so many changes that they have to make. But that being said, Connor Bedard gets a write up uh, in the New England Hockey Journal for that tournament. We see video clips of like Braden Point playing uh, at the Brick Hockey Tournament in Edmonton when he was like, you know, Finn's age. Same thing with Johnny Gaudreau. Like, and like some of those kids are already like standing out at that age and they just continue on the upward trend, which is like seriously cool to see as well. And it it tells you that there's different paths of development. Some kids like stand out and continue to stand out. Some kids stand out early and plateau and other kids just keep going up and up and improve. And it's, it's, it's cool to see all of those different pathways the kids have. It is. I think the pathways elements, the coolest is that everyone has a different path and their kids yep. are late bloomers. There are kids who are good throughout. There are kids who are really good early and kids catch up, but they're still really good. Like you mentioned the, the thing, the brick, like I think I get an email every week from elite prospects and it does like the most clicked players that week. And the third most clicked player last week was from the Montreal Canadians in the brick tournament. He's 10. Yeah. Liam, Liam Tepp. Set a new tournament record at the Brick Tournament with 15 goals and 14 assists in eight games. And it's cra- I mean, that kid, you know, like in five or six years down the line, we're going to be like, oh, this kid's the big prospect for, you know, the 2031 draft or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, it's it's cool. I love it. I think it's really interesting. And uh, yeah, it's it's it was cool. The Will Smith and Leonard getting drafted. That was um, that was awesome. Next year will be Cole Iserman. So yep. that'll be uh, that'll be something to look forward to. And then that 2025 is too far away. We'll we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. The national team development program just cranks out first round picks and draft oh, picks in general. God. It's ridiculous. But I will say if it, the the funny thing with the brick, uh, the shout out to the two teams that were playing at the end, the Montreal Canadiens, as you mentioned, uh, the junior Canadians, they had a team in the final and another team from Minnesota was in the final too. So a couple mm. of hockey factories had a bunch of stud kids that are uh, nine, 10 years old out there playing uh, in Edmonton in the mall for the hockey championship when it was like the best of the best from around, you know, North America, which is pretty cool to see. You know, it's interesting though, hockey, you see how fast hockey's spreading. I was at the select 17s up in Buffalo a few weeks ago and the best, so the, the New England region, the New England district, which does not include Massachusetts, yeah. won the whole thing. But 
the most talented team and the team that almost won it was the Pacific. The Pacific almost won it. They had some of the best kids uh, in the tournament. They had the best kid. I think it was, I think his name was John Connolly. I think he was going to Providence commit, but um, yeah, I mean, like it's, it's crazy to see how hockey's growing, but you still have your, your Canada, Minnesota, New England, like those are still, you know, prominent, but it's cool to see sort of the other ones Pacific and uh, you know, like the Southwest kind of compete because it's, you know, good to see hockey spreading. As, as much as Gary Bettman gets booed at the Stanley Cup finals when he hands over the trophy and gets, you know, bad mouthed on social media, like his dream of uh, growing the game in every reach of the United States has absolutely worked. You see it with oh NHL players coming out of California, Florida, the Southwest, like all these different places uh, where they were stubborn about keeping NHL franchise Dallas too, like that junior stars program is ridiculous. Oh my um, God. I know. So like his, his, what his vision of, of growing the game in all these non-traditional places, not only is working uh, at the NHL level, as we saw when it was four non-traditional teams at the end in the Stanley Cup playoffs, the last four teams, but also with the kids that watch these teams growing up and are playing hockey in these places, the Austin Matthews of the world that are playing in, in non-traditional markets and go on to be stud players. So, you know, all that stuff is, is super cool to see. Uh, first thing I think we want to get into is just a little bit of Bruins news. Uh, just the latest things that are happening. As you, as you mentioned, uh, Evan, there's kind of tumbleweeds blowing through uh, the Boston Bruins news scene right now. Like it's what, from July 15th to August 15th, that's usually if you're involved in the hockey media, the time when you can plan vacations and go away because it's, <laughs> yes. it's pretty much the dead portion of the off season because like, all the executives, all the coaches, all the players, they all go to like their cottages in Canada for like a month and go water skiing and golfing and, you know, uh, sitting out in a beach somewhere or a lake so they don't have to uh, think about the rink because they know it, captain's practices are going to be staring <laughs> them in the face in late August. So um, the big news uh, for this past few days, week, whatever you want to call it, was just Thomas uh, Noshik uh, signing a one year, $1 million deal with the New Jersey Devils. Uh, you know, that Don Sweeney had basically said that the ship had already sailed on July 1st and that he wasn't coming back. That was obvious when they signed Patrick Brown, uh, when they signed Morgan Geeky, you know, both those guys kind of, you know, bottom six sort of center profiles. Um, and then they went out and, and got uh, Jesper Boquist afterwards uh, for short money from the New Jersey Devils, signed him in free agency as well. And he's a center winger, very versatile. So, you know, they've kind of and they've got in, in uh, internal prospects internal candidates johnny beecher mark mclaughlin you know there's at least a couple of guys that are going to be pushing hard in training camp and are kind of at that age now where and at their development track where they should be competing and, and be in the mix for a fourth line center spot for sure uh so there's going to be a lot of different candidates involved and that kind of made uh no Schick the odd man out and like i i get what the bruins are doing here um I, they couldn't even the, the salary cap situation that they're in, they couldn't even afford to spend $1 million on a fourth line center, right? They needed that 225 K in savings. If Patrick Brown is the guy that they're going to throw in there um, and that's going to benefit them. But I also think that you see with them when it's not somebody they drafted and developed that's on their fourth line, they turn them over. They don't resign oh. those guys to other contracts it's like you sign them to a one or a two year deal. Thank you for your service. They get the most out of them. And they credit to the Bruins NHL scouting staff. They have a good eye for the fourth line guys, like especially the centers. Seems like every time Don Sweeney signs one of them to a one or two year deal, they they perform either at or above uh, expectations. So, you know, now it's it's time for somebody else to come in. But, 
you know, by the same token, um, they're going to miss a guy like Noshik. I think just face-offs, D-zone presence, smarts, like a lot of things that he brings to the table were things that aren't going to wow you and things that don't show up in the fancy stats uh, when you bear them out. But like, he's a valuable guy to a winning hockey team. Well, I think, you know, they always say, you know, the saying, you know, you don't know how good you have it until it's, it's gone. And I think he's an interesting case of, you know, there were a lot of things that not that they ever took for granted, but there were things that he kind of, he did the the dirty jobs, you know, a lot of D zone starts, penalty killing um, things that you need that are, you know, you'd love to keep away from your top six when, when needed. And he kind of took those on. And I think like for New Jersey, it's a heck of a pickup. That's a team that, you know, should be making a deep run uh, next year, you know, kind of on the cusp and, you know, I think they could use a, a legit fourth line center who can kill penalties and 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 shut uh, opposing first lines down. And I think he's he's good for that. But you hit on it well with they have the internal candidates. And I think they want to see, can a guy like McLaughlin step in? Can Johnny Beecher step in and be the fourth line center? And there will be growing pains. I mean, I, I don't think that fourth line will be fully hashed out until, you know, February, maybe March. And, and, and that's fine. Um but you're right. I mean, I think you have the guys internally. You know, if you bring back Noshek, he's there for the whole season. You're not taking him out of the lineup. He shouldn't right. be. He's, he's a better option than those guys. But you want to allow a guy like Johnny Beecher to grow into it. You want to allow a guy like Mark McLaughlin to potentially grow into it. And, you know, I just think that they're at that point. And you mentioned the cap savings as well. You got to do that. Um, but, uh, you know, again, I think it's an opportunity uh, for a guy like Beecher and McLaughlin to step in and hopefully kind of take uh, that fourth line center spot. I think Beecher might be a little more uh, for that, I think, you know, just with his speed down the middle um, and his overall game. But, uh, you know, again, I was also surprised Noshik lasted as long as he did on the free agent market because that seemed like a guy who, you know, I'm surprised teams didn't identify quicker of, okay, this is a guy who would be a valuable member to a contender in the bottom six. And, you know, New Jersey picked him out before everybody else, it seems like, and it wasn't an expensive deal. One year, one million. I mean, that's not... Yep. For a team that's con- contending, it's a guy who is going to be sort of an X factor uh, on your fourth line. So I was surprised to see him last as long as he did. Um, and, you know, it may- but New Jersey made sense. New Jersey made sense. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, he's a guy that can help you if you're a winning hockey team that's going to, you, you know, that you're going to be in the playoffs. And, you know, some of the details in his game are going to help you if you're that kind of a team, especially a younger team like New Jersey, where they could use more veteran guys, guys that have had a lot of playoff experience like Noshik and, you know, a lot of the things that he brings to the table. Um, you know, I, I think him lasting as long as he did speaks to just the salary cap jeopardy that so many teams in the oh, NHL yeah. are in where they just don't even look at a million dollars. Like they look at it as a luxury for a fourth line player. I think so many teams right now. Uh, and, and this was the way of the world when this new CBA uh, came into existence uh, between the NHL and the NHLPA, uh, you knew that it was going to be, it's going to sort of turn into the NBA where you're paying two or three guys, huge money at the top of your salary cap. And then you're trying to backfill with all these guys on minimum veteran deals or close to it you know, for your fourth line roles, for your bottom pairing defenseman roles, for your backup goaltender role, all these places where you can, you know, clip coupons and save, you're going to do it because you kind of have to, you know, uh, just based on the way it is right now. And there's really not as much of a middle class where you can pay like a third line guy, like three or $4 million a year. You can pay like a bottom pairing defenseman, that kind of money. And I think Noshik just fell into that sort of like veteran, uh, problem area where teams just don't have the money anymore for, for items like that. They look at him as kind of a luxury item. Um, it is interesting, like the fourth line 
picture and and who's going to come out of it. I think Patrick Brown is obviously a much less established NHL player than Thomas Noshik was. So I do think if one of the young guys beats him out uh, for the fourth line center position, it's not going to be as big a deal if they end up having to send him to Providence and, and he goes down there, both, you know, the contract that he has and, you know, the, his profile and, and how much he's played in the NHL the last few years, he's been kind of back and forth. Um, it is a one-way deal. So that does send a little bit of a message that they think Brown is going to be a guy that is going to stick, or at least the, the notion is he's going to stick or the message they're sending to him is they think he's going to win a job. And maybe it's the 13th forward job. We'll see. Um, but I, I do think, you know, all things being equal, the Bruins would love to have one of their young guys step up and take that job. Certainly Beecher is going to get every chance to win a job like that because the Bruins want to see a first round pick develop into something useful. You know, they, they invested a lot in that kid and they want to see him become something that's going to help them at the NHL level. And to your point, you know, he's got the speed, he's got the size, he's got a little nasty to his game. He certainly isn't going to be like a 30 goal scorer at the NHL level. I think that's no. established. So that's going to be kind of his lot in life and his ceiling is maybe be a top, you know, bottom six center, a third or fourth line center that is physical, uh, you know, is going to pop in offensively every once in a while, but is going to play the phys- uh, the physical game and the fast game. Like I remember him at his first development camp, the long strides and the way he skated, it it's Eichel-esque the way he skates. He's, he's a freaking big, powerful fast. skater. He is. He's super fast. You know, and, and that should play at the NHL level. That and his size and his physicality should all play. It's just a matter of, uh, is he going to be the detailed part of the game? You know, he's going to have the details. He's going to be able to win face-offs. Some things that I saw when I watched him play that weren't quite there yet, is he going to have enough of that stuff at the NHL level to be a fourth-line center where all that stuff is extremely important? You know, the things that yeah. Noshik was really good at, is a guy like Beecher going to be able to do any of that stuff? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And, you know, McLaughlin's another guy. I thought he should have won an NHL job out of training camp last year. I thought I was shocked he didn't. The way he played, he deserved to win the fourth line center job. And, and I didn't think Noshik particularly did deserve to win it with the way camp went. But as we went on, I think we saw what Noshik brought to the table. And again, McLaughlin's kind of a young guy where some of that stuff was developing and wasn't quite there. And I think that's why it came down the way it did. But, you know, McLaughlin is definitely in sort of a now or never kind of part of his uh, run with the Bruins here where it's his time. If he's going to be a fourth line center to kind of win that job, or, you know, is he going to continue to be a guy that's going to sort of bounce back and forth between Providence and the Bruins. So, you know, that the, the fourth line situation in general is going to be really interesting. Uh, And there's so many sort of new bodies among the forward group that it's going to be interesting to see how that whole thing plays out. I, you know, it's funny. You mentioned McLaughlin. Like I, I hope he sticks. Uh, somewhere in this in this lineup because I think he's so reliable. I think he's a guy you yep. can plug into that fourth line and you kind of know what you're going to get. That's how he's been at every level. Like that, that was kind of how he was like at BC. You knew what you were going to get. You know, you know he's not going to be a superstar, but he's reliable. You know, he can kill penalties. He can he can you know eat ice time, do some defensive work. Like I, I think McLaughlin. I, I hope he sticks, whether it's on the right side or or, or down the middle. Um, 
you know, and Beecher again, like Beecher's a guy who you almost hope there's some of the Trent Frederick in there. Like, can you stick and, you know, do your job, provide a little offensively. You know, there's times where Frederick's inconsistent, you know, yep. you see him where, you know, the physicality isn't there when it should be or, or things like that. But, you know, Beecher has that speed. That's that I think, you know, I remember watching it at Michigan, the amount of shorthanded breakaways that guy got a game was crazy. And, you know, unfortunately the finishing really isn't there. And, you know, but again, if he can kind of, you know, take away passing lanes and, and kind of be a, uh, you know, uh, a valuable member in the defensive zone, whether it be on the PK or at five on five, like I think he should stick. But you mentioned you know, the, the Patrick Brown thing being one way. I don't know, you know, again, maybe he's a 13th forward, but I don't know how, you know, it's not a guarantee that, you know, a guy like Beecher or McLaughlin steps in. Would you ever think of Beecher on the wing? I mean, I probably wouldn't. I think there's too, there's a lot of speed there, but I mean, I guess if it's a fit, sure. I think. I mean, he's big enough that he seven. should. He's big enough that he should be able to win his share of board battles on the wing, and that's really the big, yeah. usually the biggest problem that guys, uh, centers in particular, if you're going to move them to wing, that you're concerned about. And I don't think the board battle physicality thing is going to be an issue with him at all. And you know, it, it can be a way to ease some of those guys into the NHL level is to put them on the wing where there's less responsibility. Uh, and you know, he's just playing fast all the time. Uh, and, and that could be like something for him. And it's funny, you know, you mentioned sort of like seeing him get all kinds of breakaways because of his speed and, and, you know, his physicality and, and it sort of opened him up for a lot of great offensive chances, even if the hands weren't quite there to finish. That was Daniel Paye when he was with the Bruins. Yes, He was oh, a former a first comparison. round pick. He was a former first round, but he wasn't obviously as big as Beecher, but he was a former first round pick. He was super fast. He was tenacious. And those two, uh, qualities got him a lot of breakaways and a lot of uh, chances that were great offensively, uh, but he couldn't finish a lot of them too. And he ended up having a really productive run with the Bruins as their left winger uh, on the, uh, on the fourth line. So, you know, I, I do think there could be a possibility of him, uh, you know, being getting looks at the wing as well. And it's going to be really interesting to see how that whole thing plays out, but, you know, I, I'll continue to circle back like, and it was funny, we were talking about Jeremy Swayman, offer sheets, all this other stuff, like previously in, in previous weeks and month in the last month or two. And, and you know, the worry that he might sign somewhere else, sign an offer sheet somewhere, the worry that the Bruins are going to trade him, like all this stuff. He's a drafted and developed Boston Bruin player that looks like he's going to turn into a frontline NHL guy, a quality NHL player, goalie. The Bruins are not going to trade that guy. You know, no. the, the same thing with Beecher. They want him to turn into a productive, good NHL player because it it raises the profile of their scouting and their draft and development system. And they need to start producing NHL players that go out and do really well and have productive NHL roles uh, on the Bruins or elsewhere. But I think they want to have those guys for the Bruins, obviously, to kind of, you know, throw them out there and thump their chest a little bit about it especially with the Bruins, uh, you know, drafts, uh, prospect system and draft and development system has been knocked around by like the athletic. And I think it was ranked 28th by the NHL network. They did it. Uh, I saw that. that the yeah. other day. So like they want play that, you know, it's in their best interest to get Beecher's guy, guys like that online and get them succeeding and thriving. So I, I do think he's going to get a lot of looks and I do think they're going to try to find the best place to put him in uh, to, to, you know, do something at the NHL level and get some return on that first round uh, investment M moving on beyond the fourth line. And just in general, uh, the Bruins have about $5 million in salary cap space right now. Um, they do have uh, Trent Frederick and Jeremy Swayman still waiting for contracts. 
the calculations that I've done, the comparables that I've looked at, uh, as far as the arbitration hearings that are coming up in the month of August and all that stuff, I, I think they could theoretically get both of those guys signed for the money that they have now. I think it's between five and 5.5 million in cap space. I think it's 5.42. Exactly. Yes. That's that's what it is. Good job, Evan. You're right on that exact number. Nice. I agree. That's my one note. I have that written right down. It's 5.42. I have no other notes, but that's the one note I did have written down. So I can so, contribute. So there was a number of uh, comparables uh, for Frederick. I, I, I think, you know, Swayman's pretty much locked in, I think, around three and a half million. I think that's what he's going to end up getting somewhere in there based on the numbers I was looking at for RFA goaltenders. Um, Frederick, I think, is going to get around two million, maybe a little bit less. And it was funny. People were concerned about Tanner uh, Girat and the deal he signed a few days ago or last week with the Tampa Bay Lightning, thinking that that was going to raise because I think his was like in the two point five million, two point six million dollar range per year for a two year deal. I think people were worried that that was going to raise Frederick up and it was going to be a comparable to Frederick and it was going to put his number, you know, up in the 2.5, 2.6 million dollar range. But when you break down the numbers, Tanner Girard, uh, a couple of years ago, Giraud, Girard, I don't even know how to pronounce his name. Uh, when he was with the Nashville Predators, he had 24 goals. He had like 40, 45 points, something like that. Like yeah, his, wasn't Tanner Tanner Janot was like a big Janot, deadline Janot, acquisition. Me. He was a deadline yes. acquisition. Like that was a guy who people thought like, oh, big power forward can be in your middle six, potentially like you know higher in your lineup and make an impact. Have we ever thought that about Trent Frederick ever? I mean, I you know like no. not trying to rip him here, but like you know he was good last season, but I don't think we've ever looked at him in the same light that we've looked at Janot. No, but. and twenty four goals is twenty four goals. Like if you do that in yes. a season, you're a legit NHL goal scorer. Like Frederick had a career high of seventeen. His shooting percentage was off the charts this year. Like there's a lot of questions as to whether he's ever going to be able to match seventeen goals again. Uh, but it's still not, you know, getting in the mid twenties. Like that's a whole different stratosphere of NHL production and his points per game. Um, Fredericks is about like 0.27 points per game in his career. Janos was up in the 0.38 range, somewhere in there, close to 0 0.40 points per game. Like he's not a comparable for Trent Frederick. Frederick, no. uh, Max Comtois, um, with Luke Evans, maybe there was a, that several players I looked at. And their numbers, their stats, the where they were in their uh, contract status as far as being RFAs, like there were a lot of parallels between him and those kind of guys that were in the Capo uh, Kako is another one that were in the like 1.5, 1.6. And Kako, I think, had the most 2.1 million a year. And I think he was more high end than Frederick. So Frederick, I think, is going to come in at like 1.8, 1.9 a year for two years. So long story short. I think they're going to have enough cap space to sign both of those players um, unless like something goes completely sideways in the arbitration <laughs> hearings, uh, which I'm sure. You never know. <laughs> yeah. And no, and I don't even think it's going to get that far. You know, I think they'll figure out Hopefully something. Hopefully not. Before then. Yeah. You would think, I mean, Don Sweeney's done a good job of avoiding that in his career. Um, but uh, I'm just interested to see how it's going to play out. You, you have any feelings one way or the other on either one of those? Yeah, I mean, Swayman, I think you said 3-5. I think that's right around where I have him at. Like, that's, you know, maybe he gets up to four. I, you know, again, Sweeney's usually pretty good at kind of getting his own guys to sign solid deals. And I think, you know, if they want to, you know, whatever he uses for his ta negotiation tactics, 
maybe they work here and, and he gets it under, but. And Swayman wants to be here too. Like, I think yeah. I get the feeling like he wants to be one of those guys that like toes the line and does what the team needs and all that stuff. Yes. And and there's one other thing though, Hags, about the salary cap and those guys, because you're right. Those guys with the numbers you gave, which I, I agree with, should probably get in under that salary cap. Uh, Bruce Bergeron comes back. How are you paying him? Well, you're going to have to move. You're going to have to move somebody if Bergeron comes back. That's no the thing. And so that's the thing. And I think that's the one area where like, you know, if he does come back, even if you do what you did last year with his deal where you have the overages, I still think, you know, maybe you do have to move someone out and which is tough. Cause again, like the guy, and, and we'll, we'll get into this, like the guys that the, the candidates to move, get moved out, you know, everyone looks at forward, everybody looks at like Grizzly. And I, I think you, you lose like a legitimate piece there of, of your back end, or if you want to, you know, get into the forwards, you know, do you, do you, do you decide not to, you know, re-sign Jake DeBrusque and move him early or something like that, right? Like, yep. so again, I, I think it's great for Bergeron to come back. You know, you, obviously this team needs him. You need a number one center. Um, but if that's the case, they're going to have to make a subsequent move because they don't have the, they may have the space for Frederick and Swayman. They don't for Bergeron, for Frederick and Swayman plus Bergeron. So I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, you hope that those Frederick and Swayman numbers can come in. I also hope the Frederick deal is not one that's regrettable. I think Frederick's a guy that I would rather have him be short-term than than a long-term deal because I yep. think long-term, you know, he's someone that we're still, even though after a good season last year, we're all still kind of like, all right, having Frederick, like what can he, because again, he was on a very good third line last year and, you know, ultimately this year is probably not going to be on as good or as potent of a third line. So, yep. you know, how much do the numbers drop off? Is he more physical more often? You know, what is he bringing every night? So, um, you know, and also can he move to center? Uh, you know, he was a guy who came up as a center. You know, he's really just been a wing at the NHL level. But, like, I am curious, you know, can he be an NHL center on the third or fourth line? Like, maybe that adds a little more if, if, if it's a short-term deal in the next two years, he, he adds that to his game, boosts his next contract. So, uh, but yeah, hopefully those numbers come in late, but yeah, the Bergeron thing is a, it's an interesting, well, the, it always comes back to Patrice Bergeron this off season. Always. And it always, always. will. As long as he's the it captain of this team and the face of the franchise. And uh, especially now that we've reached the point in his career where he's almost like, uh, you know, it's a year to year thing and it's, it's almost uh, it's not at the level of the Tom Brady sort of when he got to that point where he was going on one year deals and there was kind of like pomp and circumstance that went along with, uh, you know, him coming back and it, you know, the question looming way into the offseason like it does now. We don't um, have a reality show with Bergeron. No. We, we behind the B. No. We behind the B, but we don't thankfully, have a we will, reality show. Thankfully, we will never have a reality show with Patrice Bergeron. He's way too classy and uh, modest to do something like that. But like this is true. You're absolutely right that uh, the way it is right now, they're going to shimmy under the salary cap, I think, with everything that they've done if they just sign Frederick and Swayman and that is it. If Patrice Bergeron does come back, and I think they've got obviously a contingency plan in place if and when that does happen uh, because you're going to make room for him. I think you're right. I think uh, they're definitely going to have to clear salary cap space, even if it's one like a $1.5 million you know, incentive laden contract, that still means you're going to have to move at least one player. Um, and I, I, I would think when Bergeron looks at, uh, you know, like Anzi Kopitar going out and still making big money uh, as he's an aging sort of Selkie trophy, number one center type, 
Like, I don't know if he's kicking himself at all saying I should be getting a lot more money than I'm getting right now to come back and play. But I know obviously he's made tons of money and that's not his number one, uh, number one uh, priority right now, but somebody is going to have to move if he comes back. And it, it it's, you, you talked about the usual suspects, Derek Forbort's definitely one of them. I think there's a lot of fans out there that would like for, to see Forbort moved because he didn't have the greatest playoff. And let's face it, that guy's not the sexiest player in general when it comes to like the casual fan because True. he blocks shots, he kills penalties. He doesn't, you know, he's, he's, he's what you need to win. You need a guy like that. If you're going to have a good team, if you're going to have a good penalty kill, if you're going to have a good defense, but like, he's not the kind of guy that's going to dazzle fans. So they think they can just, no. but then he gets hurt. Like he did last year, especially in the middle of the year. And all of a sudden your penalty uh, kill goes into the crapper for like a month when he's gone with a broken finger after he blocked a shot. Oh, by the way. So like, you know, that's definitely a guy on the list. Matt Grizzlick is a guy that I think when they had him out of the lineup in the playoffs against the Florida Panthers, they sorely missed his puck moving ability, his ability to transition and get the puck out of the D zone quickly and transport it up the ice. Uh, that that was definitely missing from the lineup when he wasn't there. Um, so you're going to miss something with him as well. And then uh, you mentioned uh, Jake DeBrusque is definitely, I think if they move another forward, that's probably a guy that they're going to look long and hard at, at being forced to move. And that's going to take away one of your, you know, goal scoring threats, a guy that's got tons of speed, tons of skill, and has gotten to a point in his career where he shows up more than he doesn't during games. You know, he's not as much of a no-show for long periods of time as he was earlier in his career when he was younger and maybe later in his career when he was playing for Bruce Cassidy and not quite happy uh, with where he was. Um, but last year, I think you saw a much more consistent, better all around player that was finding ways to be a factor, even if he wasn't, you know, scoring two goals or, or doing something. And well, just like little, little things like the winter classic, you know, getting hurt mm-hmm. and scoring two goals in the third period, he was showing more grit, than I think he had in the recent past as well. So you're going to miss things if he's gone as well. What's your priority list as far as those guys or anybody else you think might get moved uh, if you did have to make space for Bergeron? It's tough because, like, I think with the Brusque, I, I talked about this a little on Bruins Beat this week at the end, and I, I, I was at a game recently with uh, or a hockey game out in Foxborough, and Mark Diver was there. And we were kind of going back and forth on this. and uh, Also been a guest on this show. We only it, booked the greatest guests here. Yeah, this is true. He's, he's higher than me. He's a better guest than I am. I, I, you know, Mark is up here. I am down there, but you know, the funny thing about DeBrusque is like, like, let's say the Bruins are 10 game, you know, 10 games under 500 or 10 points out of the playoff picture around the deadline. Right. And they say, you know what? DeBrusque has a year, you know, it's going to be UFA in a year. Like we're not going to resign him. Let's deal him. Right. At the trade deadline next year, Jake DeBrusque, if, again, I don't think the Bruins are going to be in this situation, but if they are, no. if they were going to trade him, he would get you a lot. Like, I think he gets you a, a sizable return back. If yep. you deal him now, you're not getting a lot for him. You know, I, you're, you're not getting as much as you should. And, you know, that's a guy, like, again, if you're in that position next year, maybe you get a first for him or a couple big prospects. And then suddenly, all right, you know, you've kind of replenished yourself a teeny bit um, yeah. for that. So that's a guy I wouldn't want to deal now, but I, I guess I, you know, when we talk about like what Forbert brings and what Grizzlick brings, it's tough because it's not like they do the same thing and we can just be like, oh, you know, Forbert, they do the same thing. Forbert can go or Grizzlick can go. They do such different things. You need Grizzlick, you said, as you said, in that series against Florida, when they couldn't move the puck out of their own zone, like that's a guy who helps you there, right? And you look at a guy like Forbert, you know, he goes along with the trend of what the NHL, you know, Stanley Cup champions of late have become of, Bigger defensemen, 
Um, you know, I think he's six, three, like, you know, kills a ton of time uh, at five on uh, down a man. And I think he brings a lot. And, you know, I think if you lose him, you miss a bunch. If you lose Grizzly, you miss a lot. Um, I don't want to trade DeBrusque. Um, because the other thing is like, you don't have Taylor Hall anymore. You don't have Tyler Bertuzzi, right? Like if you, if those guys were somehow still here, it'd yeah. be like, Oh, DeBrusque can be kind of crossed off the list, but you don't have that. And the other thing is, and we haven't touched on this from dev camp. I know you did a dev camp podcast, uh, Lysel. I think everyone expects Lysel to jump up and kind of be a production productive guy, yep. but I don't know if that's coming. I don't know no. if that is all that there. Um, you know, again, the skill is there, but watch him away from the puck. It's not, you know, that's a guy who's not, uh, I don't think he's quite NHL ready. Um, so no. I don't think he's going to be jumping into the top six next season to no. start at least, you know, I, I don't, I don't fully see that yet. So I think all three are, are, you know, guys you want to keep. If I had to pick, they underutilized, they didn't really use Grizzik a lot in the playoffs last year. And I think, you know, with the way the league's trending and maybe also you can get something for him. A team might look at him and say, oh, that's a guy who can, you know, jump on our power play, be a productive guy. Maybe you can get a little something more for him than you would for Forbert. Um, I don't want to do that, but I think if I had to pick one of those three, it would probably be him. It's tough because I think he's a great player and I think he he adds a lot, but uh, yeah. just what you got there, I think that out of those three, it's probably him. No, I, I think it is him and I think you're right. And uh, that would be my choice. And it would be because simply... Well, it's twofold, right? You want and need a bigger defenseman core. Uh, look at the Las Vegas, look at the Vegas Golden Knights, look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, look at the teams that have won the cup in the recent past. The Blues beat you the with board, a huge decor. <laughs> six foot two, six foot three, 210 pounds, like across the board, like yep. average size. You know, they don't have any five foot nine, 175 pound defensemen. And I value Matt Grizzlick a ton. I love watching the way he can escape the D zone with the puck and the way he moves it up the ice. And I think he is, he's turned himself into an excellent NHL player. Like he's taken his ability and he's maximized it. He's a good kid. He's a good player, obviously a great story with his dad being on the bull gang and him being from Charlestown. Like there's, he's had an excellent run with the Boston Bruins, but I think when you look at the size and I think you also look at a guy like Mason Lowride that looked like, looks like he's very close to the NHL and looks like he's going to be ready sooner rather than later, you all of a sudden take out Matt Grizzlick and put in Mason Lowry. All of a sudden, your defenseman core is six foot three, 210 pounds all the way across the board, and you look a lot more like the teams that have been winning the cup lately, and you're not really getting a drop-off as far as moving the puck offensive ability. Like, that kid's got it. You know, he was the best player, yeah. I thought, our development camp oh i don't even think it was uh, close <laughs> dominant and in and i think they've told him to scale back like the high risk play with the puck to scale back some of the offensive stuff you know and, and some of the stuff that you can be the over aggressiveness to make sure he's being sound defensively he's playing good positional hockey make sure he's doing fundamentally what he's supposed to as a defenseman at least to start as a young player so I don't even think he had it dialed up to 10 volume, you know, during development camp, as far as like trying to razzle dazzle people with what he can do with the puck. I think he was just playing good, solid defenseman and showing them that he could do it. So I, I think because of that reason, and that's usually how these trades work, right? You're not going to deal a guy like Grizzly unless you feel like you've got an, another option or another answer or something that you can fill in there. Now, does it happen maybe does Bergeron like not play for like the first month of the season and then come back later on into the year? Who knows? Like, let's put a, a theoretical scenario out there where Bergeron, maybe he want, you know, maybe he wants to heal up more. Maybe he doesn't want to play the full grind of the season. 
Maybe he comes back, you know, a month or two in. I don't think he's going to do that because he's the captain and I think he feels responsibility and like it's not, it wouldn't be him to do something like that. But that would be the perfect scenario for the Bruins where maybe they have Grizzly for the first month. Maybe they make sure Lowry is ready down in Providence for the first few weeks, month of the season, make sure he's like ready to come out of the oven. And then, you know, they can pull the trigger on all this stuff and be salary cap compliant, um, you know, making the moves that they want to and and sort of, you know, replacing one with the other. I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. It'll probably go in. It would, if they sign Bergeron, I would suspect that it would go into training camp with them being over the salary cap because they don't have to get cap compliant until opening night. And they would look, take a long look at Mason Lowry, make sure that he's ready for an NHL, uh, for the NHL and ready to take on, you know, a top four role, 20 minutes a night on his shoulders, and then maybe make that decision to move Grizzly. And and I could see all of those sort of dominoes coming, you know, falling in succession like that. But I, I, I think to your general point, I'm with you. I think Grizzly is the guy that you move. You have a surplus of defensemen. You added to it when you signed Kevin Shattenkirk. Uh, so I think you have, you know, prospect wise and NHL player wise, you have too many defensemen right now. You, you should move one of them to create salary cap space, space to do what you want to do. And you already moved Taylor Hall. I, I think if you really start moving more top six caliber wingers that can put the puck in the net, you're going to be cutting into the bone where you're just not going to have enough players that can do that. And you're going to be substantially hurting your offense. Yeah. It's, but, but it's interesting. Like you mentioned the surplus of D and it's tough. Cause right now on the left side, just left shot defenseman, you have Lindholm, you have Forbert, you have Grizzly, and you have Zaboral. And I think that's about it. Unless I'm missing someone um, no more Orloff. And so you yeah. have those four. And I think it, it, it's tough. Cause like, if you let go of, let's say you do trade Grizzly and then, all right. So you got Lindholm, Forbert, you know, I think Lowry probably could benefit from a full year in Providence. Um, I don't know if they want to rush it. I, you know, again, if he's looking great in training camp and like is just completely ready, then you have to do it. You can't, you know, you, make sense. But I mean, if they ended the season with Lindholm, Forbert, Zaboral down the left side, or, you know, maybe you have, you know, a guy jump from the right side to the left side, but let's just say it's Zaboral in the third pairing. I don't love that. Like, I, I don't, but maybe you can tread water for a bit with that. See how yep. it plays out. You mentioned like, you know, if, if two months into the season, Lowry is ready. Okay, great. You know, um, or a right shot defenseman can jump over to the left side. You know, maybe you do that. Um, again, they're not going to be the 65 win team they were last year. I think that's no. one thing that people have to kind of get on is you're going to have holes in this, in this roster. And like, as we said, like, you know, do you trade DeBrusque and have a huge hole in the top six? So you're without Hall, Bertuzzi and, and, uh, and DeBrusque. Or are you going to trade Grizzly and be kind of without a third pairing left shot defenseman? Like I would, I guess I'd rather be without that. Cause you do have a guy in Zaboral who can, Tread water. It can be kind of a stopgap back there, you know, just do his thing, I guess. Well, um, I mean, look, they, they've got to get the return on the first round investment for him. Uh, at yes. some point. And maybe that return is filling in for a couple of months until low Rye is ready. But I can tell you, Jim Montgomery's head might explode if that's the case for the first couple of months of the season, because I was down <laughs> I there. Our heads in, might explode. <laughs> I, I was down there in Florida last year. It was the game right before Thanksgiving um, where low Rye, uh, not low Rye, where's Borrell, ate a puck behind the net, like panicked basically and swallowed the puck and just kept it behind on along the end boards behind the net, got stripped and it turned into a goal in front of the net. And the, the Panthers ended up winning the game. That was the last time that Zboril played for a good, like four months, three or four months 
and he was deep into the doghouse after that. And granted, we're talking about a much more talented Bruins team where there probably wasn't a spot for him anyway. And it took a long time for him to get back in just because they had, you know, depth all over the place, uh, both back end and front. But I also I think it also speaks to like at that point, Monty said, I don't trust this guy and I'm not putting him back in the lineup. And it'll be interesting if they are forced to sort of roll him out there for a month or two into the season. But like to your point, that could happen, too. Like if they really decide they need to make the Grizzly move now uh, to, to not paint themselves in a corner salary cap wise in training camp where they're forced to make a move and probably get cents on the dollar in return. Um then you, you make that move and say, we are going to live with Zborl if Low Rye is not ready and then do it for a month or two until he gets ready. But I, I can tell you right now, just watching Low Rye now, seeing Charlie McAvoy at a similar stage, you know, maybe five years ago, um, he probably needs a little bit more time than, than McAvoy did. Uh, just McAvoy, I think, was ahead of him. Uh, and just, I think, a little more, you know, a little more developed and polished in his abilities. But Lowry, I don't think is that far behind. I don't think it's going to take much AHL time before he's ready uh, to move to the next level. I think it's just more the speed and the physicality and getting used to that stuff. And it helps a lot when you're like six foot five to get used to physicality. (laughs) And a good skater. I think that's the one thing with him that I think like, you know, they're so fortunate because, you know, he's six foot four, good skater. That goes along with the NHL defenseman of 2023, right? Like good size, good skater, moves the puck well. And, you know, again, I think there's solace in the fact that, you know, you have Hampus Lindholm there, you know, you'll probably have Derek for, let's say you just say, you, let's, say let's say you trade Grizzly. You don't yeah. need to immediately go out and say, well, we need to figure out that, that third, you know, the, the left shot defensive. You have your guy in waiting in Mason Lowry, whether that's in December of this year, whether it's earlier, whether it's later, like he will come up at some point and have an impact. And I think there is solace and, you know, there's a lot of holes in this prospect pool. We have talked about them at length, um, you know, in previous episodes and writing like that prospect pool is not outstanding. But I think the one thing you can bank on is you have a top four left shot defenseman in the system who is going to make a, an impact at the NHL level. And whether that's, you know, this year, next year, you know, there's solace in that. So if this is a if this is kind of a bridge year, you know, we talk a lot about next off season, they're going to have more space. Hopefully yep. the cap goes up. Like yep. that's when you can maybe kind of figure out your center position, uh, you know, life post Bergeron. If that's the case, and this is kind of a, 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 a you know, sort of a bridge year, maybe, maybe Zaboral on that third pair is what you do, or you move over a, a right shot guy, or you bring low up for spurts during the year. And again, that's not like punting on the season. I mean, the Panthers had Mark Stahl on defense and guys like that who, you know, we're, we're past their prime and we're kind of looked on, you know, lower on the totem pole, but did their job. And I think if you can get, you know, I don't, I don't put those expectations on Jakob Zaboral. There's no reason to yet. Um, but, you know, at least you have low Ryan waiting, as you said, because as you said, I mean, clearly the best guy at development camp. I mean, the only one that was even rivaling him, I think was Poitras. Um, yep. But that's down the road. That's not anytime soon. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, you know, it's a tough call though. If Bergeron does come back, I mean, I think, I think everyone would rather Bergeron do come back than not, but you do have to make a tough, a tough personnel decision uh, if he doesn't. Well, Evan, I, I think we just uh, solved all the Boston Bruins problems in the last 45 minutes. So like we've I, done it. All we've they got to do is all they got to do is listen to this podcast and they get all the answers to the questions. Right. 
They already do. So they, I don't think we have to tell them. I think they'll know to do that. I would hope. That's, that's right. Uh, Evan, thank you very much. Evan Marinovsky from New England Hockey Journal, the Bruins beat host. Check out that podcast also in the CLNS network. Thanks for coming. Uh, and thanks to our sponsors, FanDuel Sportsbook. We love you. Uh, you've been with us from the beginning and Factor Meals. Uh, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. Go out and check it out. Ready in less than two minutes. All kinds of vegan healthy options. If you're into that, I, I might not be, but they have plenty of options that I like too, the surf and turf and all kinds of other things. Fantastic. So uh, check out Factor Meals. Thanks for being a sponsor. And thanks for listening to Pucks with, Pucks with Hags. We'll see you at the rink.